0: Alright, we're going to start this morning a little bit differently. Mary's joined me, um, and we're doing this because uh, I was praying about which direction to go for a message. I had a message ready in 2 Timothy, and I had this message kind of on the back of my mind. Ashling had sent me a verse years ago from Psalm 94 that was a blessing during a tough week I had. But I woke up yesterday morning with the words of this hymn going through my mind. So I asked Mary if she'll read the hymn, and then just read a brief hymn story. And then we'll get into the introduction to the message. Or the story first and then the hymn. That's, yeah.
1: Alright. This one is uh, about the song Day by Day. And it says, God is always with us, even dur- during our most painful experiences. Carolina Sandberg Sandalberg understood this truth personally. She was never very strong as a child, So she spent much time in her father's study and grew especially close to him. When she was 26, she accompanied her father, who was a parish pastor in Sweden, on a voyage to a distant city. As they stood on deck, the boat lurched and spilled Pastor Sandal overboard. The crew was unable to save him, and he drowned as his daughter looked on. Berg was already well known for hymns that she had published as a young girl, But this tragedy inspired many more. At the loss of her earthly father, she drew closer even to her heavenly father. She discovered that even during the times of greatest loss, God's comforting presence was near. Berg wrote over 650 hymns during her lifetime, and they played an important role in the pietist revivals of Sweden in the late 19th century. The hymn Day by Day. Day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. Every day the Lord himself is near me with a special mercy for each hour. All my cares he fain would bear and cheer me, he whose name is Counselor and Bower. The protection of his child and treasure is a charge that on himself he laid. As thy days thy strength shall be in measure, this the pledge to me he made. Help me then in every tribulation so to trust thy promises, O Lord, that I lose not faith's sweet consolation offered me within thy holy word. Help me, Lord, when toil and trouble meeting, ere to take as from the Father's hand one by one the days, the moments fleeting, till I reach the promised land.
0: Amen. Thank you, sweetheart. Um, it was, I think it was Friday morning, actually. I woke up and my mind is like, I've said before, kind of spinning. And it's just trying to keep track of all the stuff that's going on. And we're not facing the same kind of trial that David wrote about in Psalm 94. We're not a, not um, facing the same kind, of, at least right at the moment, we're not basing the same kind of struggle that Line Berg Faced when she lost her dad um, in a tragic boating accident. But we are facing a, a struggling time and uh, it, it really is. I said, said, told about earlier, this whole thing is kind of doing my head in. Uh, I mean, we've got the virus to deal with. We've got um, the coming economic struggles to deal with. We've got, in my mind, we've got the encroachment of government powers over our freedoms um, and on and on and on. And I, I wish I could let you into my mind no not really but i kind of wish i could let you into my mind to see how my mind wakes up thinking about these things what's going to happen in this and i see this news item and you know you're wondering how are we going to open with that building that we meet in being such a dirty place how are we going to get through this how are we going to set it up how are we going to clean it up how are we going to um, get people to come back to church after being four months and going to jammy church um all that, stuff, all that stuff is in my head. And then I'm thinking about the economy and what's going to happen. Um, fortunately, the law was changed, so I don't have to retire at 65 this year. Uh, but, but we've been on several communiques with the school, I te- the program I teach with, and very uncertain future there. Um, we get some support from the states, and uh, I'm sure their giving has dropped dramatically when they can't meet together in church. Uh, phew, it's just all there. And I think David was in kind of the same situation in psalm ninety four now it 's not the same trouble, not the same kind of adversity. He was facing Saul and his army, and things were really bad in psalm ninety four but I want what the focus I want to get to is towards the end i 'm kind of going to kind of move quickly through the opposition because our opposition is different than David had, but then i 'm going to apply from the scriptures how God works in adversity. We're going to come down to verse 14 at the end. And we're going to see a wonderful blessing from this psalm that can comfort all of our hearts during these difficult times when our minds are just confused and baffled and um, constantly trying to figure things out. Uh, So I'm going to read. I'm not going to read the whole psalm to you. We're going to read it in bits. There's a couple of major points here. The first point is love is tough. And that's in verse 1 through 7. I'm not going to read those verses because it's basically talking about the enemies that David was facing. Life is tough. But in the middle of that, in verse 3, the second point is, David asks the question, how long is this going to last? And what, what that's a fair question. How long are my troubles going to last? Now, God doesn't answer him, but at the same time, God does give him comfort during these times. It's going to last as long as it's going to last. And that's what we're dealing with right now. I wish we had a come out date for this thing. When things were back to normal and people were back to normal and jobs and Life was where it was before, and um, people say we shouldn't go back there. Well, I look back three months ago, and we were OK. I mean, sure we were a big hectic and stuff like that, but people all had jobs. Everybody who wanted a job had one, and all that kind of stuff. How long is it going to be? And in verse three, David, so would it not, not ungodly to ask God the question, How long is this going to last? How long, he wrote, is the wicked going to triumph? And we might well say, Lord, how long is this virus going to control our lives? And how long are these governments going to pass laws that nobody really knows if they're right or wrong? How long is that going to happen? And God doesn't answer, but God does understand during this time. That's where we pick up in verse 8 of Psalm 94. So that's where we're really going to start this morning. Um, Psalm 8, well, I guess Psalm 9, actually, is where we're going to start this morning. God responds, God says to this... Uh, He's, he's David asked the question, you know, how long is this going to last? Um, God asked the question, though, how, how, um, how long are you going to keep going on this way? And then God answers the question. And this is kind of reminds me of Psalm. First of all, don't be deceived. God knows what's going on. He asked him kind of like he dealt with Job. He that plants the ear, can he not hear what's going on? He that made the eye, can he not see what's going on? God's not blind to what's going on. He's not deaf. He wasn't caught by surprise when this whole thing first popped up, and I don't know. Nobody really knows. November, December, January, whenever this first popped up, God wasn't a bit surprised. God wasn't surprised when we first started hearing news reports out of Wuhan. He wasn't surprised when the thing moved to Italy, and when people started coming out of Italy from their ski holidays, and the virus began spreading, and it kind of spread from here to there, and didn't catch guard. God sees it all. And we need to remember that God is not blind. God isn't deaf. God is not caught off guard. God knows exactly what's happening. And that alone ought to comfort our hearts. We can't be fooled. God still knows what's going on. Psalm 139 is a beautiful psalm. One of my favorite, it's the God knows psalm. I think I may have mentioned it in the message last week or a couple of weeks ago that God knows exactly what's going on. He knows our upsitting, he knows our rising up, our sitting down, he knows our thoughts, he knows our minds, he knows our words when they're still being formed in our mouth. God knows this. And we can take great comfort in this, that God is, is, that he knows exactly what's going on. So chapter, verse 9 says, He that plants the ear shall he not hear, and he that forms the eye will he not see. He that chastises the heathen shall he not correct, and he that teaches man knowledge shall not he know. God, we expect God to chasten the wicked. But the God who chastens the wicked can also teach us. And sometimes tough Times come, and that's what the verse implies here. Um, he that teaches knowledge shall he not know. The Lord knows the thoughts of men. He knows their vanity. But before that, the verse here says is that God can use these times to strengthen us. James wrote, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials and temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. And when patience has its perfect work, you will be mature and entire, wanting Nothing. So we can grow through trials. Um, I hope we are doing this. Guys, I hope that we're not just coming here for a half hour on Sunday morning. Hearing the message and going on our way. I hope that we're using the time through the week to spend time and get to know God better and pray more. Because God has a lesson for us. And when we come through this thing, and we will come through this thing. I can't wait to our New Year's. I can't wait till our Christmas Day service when we normally share the lessons that God taught us this year to look back and see what God did for us during this trial. Right now it seems insurmountable. We've been out of church eight weeks. We probably have eight more weeks before we can come back together. And um, that severely disappoints me. But you know what? God's in control. And God knows what's best. And He can teach us. Verse verse 11, I'm sorry. The Lord knows the thoughts of men. He knows that the thoughts of men are vanity. I'm glad God knows the thoughts of men. Everybody thinks they know what's best, don't they? Especially with social media. My goodness, everybody in creation is now an immune, immunologist or a virologist. And everybody knows exactly what should be done here. They know how long we should be quarantined. They know how long the lockdown should last. They know how long people should stay out of work. They know whether you should wear a mask or not. They know whether you should wear gloves or not. All of that is... It's, and the thing is, there's evidence both ways. And we have to choose. the We have to take, take a wise course. The best advice is once we, once we have used here since, since before the crisis started, realize that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. Two things we can do. We know it's good to wash your hands. Right? No doubt we know it's good to wash our hands. We should always have kept that in track, because this thing wouldn't pass on if we kept our hands washed, basically. And then we know that we should be shining the light of God. So God knows the thoughts of man. He knows all the stuff we're looking at. God, God's the only one who knows how this virus works and what's going to happen at the end. So all of man's thoughts are indeed vanity. And God's students who learn from him are blessed in verse 12-16, or 12-15. Blessed is the man whom you chasten, O Lord, and teach him out of your law. Um, this chastening here, I love as a teacher, I love the words with chastening and discipline, and they all kind of tie together. So <clears throat> part of chastening is to instruct. God says, blessed is the man that you chasten, Lord. So we ought, to be, we ought to be grateful because proper chastening always leads to repentance, according to Hebrews chapter 12. Chastening should always lead us to proper repentance. So blesses is the man that God chastens, and blesses is the man that God teaches out of his law. We have God's word right before us. Hopefully you've got it on your phone or on your tablet. I hope it's open in front of you right now, so that you're not just trusting what I say. But God says he will teach us out of his law, even in the midst of a crisis. Here David was surrounded by one of the most powerful armies the world has ever known. And yet he was trusting God, he, and God says, I'll teach you out of my law. That thou mayest give him rest from the days of adversity, until the pit be dug for the wicked. We find adversity and trouble from God's word. That's what I try to do with my daily devotions. I'm trying to encourage us from God's word and give give words of God's comfort from His word. First of all, God teaches. God uses adversity to first of all um, to to um, to teach us something. Secondly. He uses, uh, oh, sorry, I got, got confused there, that we can learn the lesson that God knows. God can use these times to instruct us and help us get our lives on track. God can use these times to discipline us and get our, heads, get our minds on track. Then he says that God, is, God blesses those he teaches through his word. And then God will give us rest. He'll teach us to depend on Him. One thing this whole thing has certainly done, it has knocked out for the vast majority of us any idea that we are powerful in ourselves. We know we can't trust our jobs anymore. We know we can't trust our governments. We know there's nothing we can put our faith in except God. God's knocked all that out. Um, verse 11, God knows our, He knows our, the thoughts. He knows the vain thoughts of men. He chastens us. He teaches us out of His word. He'll give rest in the days of adversity. The Lord. Then verse 14, God will not cast us off and He's not going to forsake our inheritance. God has not forgotten us during this time. I, I personally fear, feel that the illness may be abating, but the difficult times are yet to come the darkest days are yet to hit eventually we're going to feel the repercussions of 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 people being paid good good sums of money to stay out of work people aren't going to want to go back to work when they've been paid when they're paid this way we're going to see the difficulty of all the businesses that have shut down we're going to see the challenge of of, of and it's, it's it's not going to to be an easy time but we need to remember that even then god has not forsaken us fortunately as far as I know nobody in our fellowship has been directly or severely affected um, by this thing but it's going to have an impact in the future so God God will be with us he won't cast us off God is not going to forsake his inheritance and we are God's inheritance and then verse 15 says but judgment shall return unto righteousness and the upright in heart shall follow it God can use this time to turn people to him. He can use this time to turn things around. And to and, and that's what the opportunities we have during this time to share the gospel. Is <clears throat> the fact that God, God will, can use this time to bring his righteousness to people. As long as we're living our own right lives. That's why we wash our hands and shine our light. So that God can see, people can see the righteousness of God working in us. And God can turn this thing out for his righteousness. So in verse 16, um, the psalmist cries out again, Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who's going to stand up for the against the workers of iniquity? The psal- David asked the question, Who's going to help me? Basically he's saying here in verse 16, he's saying, Help me. Help me through this. Who's going to be my strength through my adversity? David, of course, talking about Saul and his armies, but us talking about the crisis that the world is in today, and it's going to continue to be in for a while. Then verse 17 comes down down to us trusting God. Verse 17 through 19, we see the importance of trusting God through this. If God had not been my help, unless the Lord had been my help, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. David has seen God doing a work. He's seen God's hand of protection. And for most of us we can say the same thing. We've seen God's hand of protection in the past. We've seen him bring us through hard times. We've seen him bring us through struggles. That's what James talks about. We read quoted the verse earlier that let, let a that God will teach us patience, and that patience will mature us. So when these difficult times come, <clears throat> we are we're called to rejoice in these difficult times and to and to count it, in fact, all joy when we face these hard times. David said this in verse 18. He said, uh, when I said, my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. I like that phrase. It's not used. I don't know if it's used in the more modern translations. Um, But The phrase is in the Old King James is, My foot had almost slipped. I was losing my footing. And I'm sure some of us have felt this way over the last eight or nine weeks. Sometimes it feels like everything is being knocked out from under us. Day after day, this happens and that happens. And we're hearing about huge stores and shops who are never going to open their doors again. And we hear about all these things that are not going to be restored, and um, airline industry, uh, all those kind of things. Where so much <clears throat> of our economy is built on, and for economy to be strong, people have to spend money. But if there's nothing to spend money on, then it, it, all kinds of repercussions. And I felt several times like my foot has almost slipped. I just, I, I start dwelling on these things. My mind starts getting all confused. And I start dwelling on this stuff. And I can wake up some nights just almost in desperation. As I think about and those who don't know my mind, I've got, I, can, I can handle about 40 trains of thought going on at the same time in my head. And my mind just kind of jumps back and forth from this track to 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 this track. To this track and it can be overwhelming. And we can say, my foot had almost slipped. But God's mercy... David said, held me up. I love the verse in Lamentation that says that God's mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. God's mercy keeps being poured out. God shows mercy upon mercy upon mercy upon mercy upon mercy upon mercy. That's pretty much a literal translation, by the way. I wasn't just repeating words. Mercy is poured on mercy, poured on mercy, poured on mercy, poured on mercy, poured on mercy. Poured on mercy. And that's what God's mercy does for us. And I'm so grateful. I would be disgusted with me if I were God. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I would be saying to me, Roger, why did you get this through your thick skull? I've got this covered. I've got it. Quit letting yourself fret over this stuff. I've got it, but God... and You know what, Roger, I'm fed up with you. You want to have that kind of attitude? Have it. But no, God's mercy keeps being poured out over and over and over again. And then, what does God's mercy do? It holds us up. It's the mercy of God that carries us through difficult and challenging times. Psalm 72, verse 3, and then verse 17, says, My feet had almost slipped until I went into the sanctuary of God and I saw the end of my troubles. If we want our feet not to slip. If we want to keep on going, we need to be spending time with God. God is holding us up. Then we come down to verse 19, and I, this is kind of the focus here. And I, I, I hope that I'm getting pretty close to being finished here. This was the verse that Ashley sent me years ago, and I don't know if she remembers doing it. I don't remember what I was going through, but it popped up in my Facebook memories this week. Verse 19 says this, In the multitude of my thoughts within me, your comforts delight my soul. I like Charles Spurgeon. I don't think there's a better commentator on the Psalms than Charles Spurgeon. He wrote this in his Treasury of David about this verse. Here's how he kind of paraphrased it. When I am tossed to and fro with various reasonings, distractions, questions, and forebodings, I will fly to my true rest. For thy comforts delight my soul. Now, Spurgeon had a problem with depression. Um, he was a great man of God, a great preacher, but he battled depression. He knew what he's talking about. If you ever get a chance to read, go use his devotional guide, um, God's checkbook on the treasury of faith or something like that, it's a brilliant because you see his heart. He struggled with fears and doubts and depression. He knew what it was like. And he says, when my mind is tossed to and fro with reasonings and distractions and questions and forebodings, I will fly to my true rest, for your comforts delight my soul. Your comforts delight my soul. From my sinful thoughts, my vain thoughts, my sorrowful thoughts, my griefs, my cares, my conflicts, I will hasten to the Lord. He has divine comforts, and they will not only console me, but they will actually delight me. Spurgeon had learned the lesson of delighting in God's comforts. Not just sustaining. Nobody wants to just be sustained through times like this. He says he can delight. He is literally, the passage here, literally, is he is overwhelmed with his thoughts. Same kind of thoughts, I'm talking about this and that, I'm worried about this, I'm worried about that. What's going to happen? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? How are we going to come out of this? What's going to happen to this? David had the same thing. When's Saul going to attack? How am I going to defend over here? How am I going to defeat that? What am I going to do? How am I going to do? How, how, what's going to happen here? He was overwhelmed. Yet he said, "These are the times when we are totally consumed, that thoughts that have no business being there. These thoughts and anxieties are are like the boughs of a tree, which are all tangled and mixed together." That's a isn't that a beautiful picture? When you see a tree that's been left untended and all the boughs and the branches and the vines and everything are all tangled together. There's a big mess and it's nearly possible. I remember years ago, many years ago, in Alabama, we decided to get rid of our honeysuckle and our grapevines, or the honeysuckle. And I remember Matt and Jay uh, tearing through the stuff. And then a few, more recently here, we put honeysuckle in here. After tearing it up before, we put honeysuckle in here. And I remember I got a picture of A.J. and Hudson dragging away the honeysuckle. It was all entangled on the back wall. That's what our thoughts can do. And I don't know about you guys, but I can really identify with that kind of thought process. He's overwhelmed. They're the thoughts that entangle us. But you know what? Anxiety is not of God. It's not there. Be careful. Be anxious for nothing. It's not God's plan that we have these entangling, anxious thoughts controlling our hearts in our minds. Spurgeon said again, Who can muse upon eternal love, immutable purposes, covenant promises, finished redemption, the risen Savior, his union with his people, the coming glory, and such like themes, without feeling his heart leaping for joy. Spurgeon writes, Let your let your head be changed change your thinking process and that's up to us we need to decide what we're going to think about Philippians chapter 4 shortly after verse 6 and verse 8 says this, finally my brethren whatever things are true, whatever things are noble whatever things are just whatever things are pure whatever things are lovely whatever things are of good report if there be any virtue, if there be any praise think on these things Getting through these crises is a matter of changing our thought processes. We decide not to focus on the bad, but to focus on God and His good. When I think about the fact, God has saved me. He has a purpose in my life. My redemption is finished. Jesus is risen from the dead. He's He's unified with us. He's coming again. And those things, how can we not leap with joy instead of being mired down in all the sorrows and the complicated thoughts that confuse us like David was doing here. David said this, when my thoughts, uh, um, in the multitude of my thoughts within me, my comforts are are going to delight my soul. The Hebrew phrase here literally means, and this is how Spurgeon said this in one point, God's comfort the thoughts of God's comfort in my life literally make me dance with the light. I can't remember any time during this crisis that I have danced with the light over the comfort of God in my life. But that's our focus. That's our goal. That we can dance with the light because while well, the rest of the world is worried, panicking, anxious, anxious entangled with thoughts, we, you and me, who are believers, those of us who are truly God's children, who've been saved by the blood of Christ, who've been redeemed by his precious work, we can dance with the light because God gives us comfort. I've sometimes heard a blanket or a duvet called a comforter. And why is it called a comforter? Because you wrap it around you and you cozy up to it on a cold winter's night or a cold summer's night if you're here, and you just cozy in it, and you find that kind of comfort. It brings delight in the middle of a storm. God's comfort should delight me, no matter what the circumstances. This present storm we're going through is not going away in the near future, but we can find comfort. We can delight, dance with delight in the comfort of God in God's comfort the comfort that God is there the storm is there but we have a divine comforter comfort is always most delightful do you notice that comfort is always most delightful when there's a storm going on I mean, we have an easy day nobody wants to cuddle up on the couch with the fire raging on a bright beautiful sunlit day when do we like that we like it when it's lashing outside and the wind is howling when the snow is falling we want to get cozy up, and comfort is always best during a struggle, so we can enjoy God's comfort. And you know what? If we that wasn't enough, what did Jesus say when he left the earth? He says, I'm going to leave a comforter with you. Literally, I will leave you another comforter. Those of us who are saved in Jesus Christ have the comfort of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, casting all of our thoughts and all of our fears and all of our anxieties on him because he is cares for us. We delight in the comforts of God no matter what the crisis, whether it's an enemy like Saul faced or whether it's a storm like we're facing now with this all that's happening surrounding this, this, this COVID-19 stuff, illness and fears and economic strains and job losses and all that kind of stuff. The stronger the storm, the more comfort we can find in Jesus Christ. And we ought to dance with the light that he's provided that comfort for us. I could go on and on about this concept of a comforter. Um, I know I know people who delight in still having their childhood blankie. <laughs> and have to have their blanket. And they find great comfort in their blanket, even though they're adults. Why? Because it's familiar. And it's carried them through storms in the past. I'm not comparing the Holy Spirit to a blankie. But you get the picture. It's our source of comfort. And we can delight in it. When my thoughts are wandering, when I doubt and I fear, when I'm when I have sins in my life, when I'm thinking worldly thoughts, when I'm thinking about my family or societal needs, when I'm thinking about our church, when I'm despondent, when I um, when I'm thinking of what going of prospects, good or bad, in the future, when I think all this kind of stuff, I can come back and find comfort and delight in the comfort of the God's Holy Spirit working in my life. David said, In the multitude of my thoughts, I delighted in your comfort. At the end, he closes with this. Uh, he says, Shall the throne of comfort have a fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by a law? And we could ask ourselves the same thing. Is this thing going to, how do we get through this thing? Verse 21, um, verse 20, we'll just go to verse 22. We'll finish with verse 22. The Lord is my defense. He's my rock of refuge. We have God's protection. He's my defense. We looked at recently. God is my rock of refuge. He's the cave in which I can find protection and comfort. But if you want to to remember one verse, you want to take down, mark, memorize, um, underline on your phone. Verse 19. In the multitude of my thoughts within me, your comforts delight my soul. In the multitude of my thoughts within me, God's comforts delight my soul. Are we letting God's comforts delight our soul? Are we resting in Him? Are we finding strength in Him and Him alone? And not just finding it, but delighting in it. Dancing around with joy. Because we know God is our comfort. Alright. Where is this? I didn't have any prayer requests come in during the message, but Holly asked us before the sermon um, to pray for her mother. Her mother has more tests on June the 6th. And to pray for her granddad who's had a, I think, I'm not even for sure, the, it looks like he had a stroke, a pretty serious stroke, and uh, that's causing more problems for her mom to deal with. So be praying for Holly's mother and for the test she has to face. And be praying for Holly's granddad as he's dealing with the after effects of a stroke. Be praying for each other. Be praying for the things we always pray for. Um, and uh, keep stay faithful, guys. God willing, we'll see you Wednesday night. Let's pray. And we'll, oh yeah, oh yeah. Don't forget, we mentioned it during the message. Remember before we pray, keep washing your hands and keep shining your light. That's the best thing we can do during this crisis. Wash our hands and all that implies and shine the light of the gospel to those around us. Father, we thank you for your your word today, for the comfort and challenge it was to me. Lord, I want to be like David. I want to dance with the light in your comfort. Help me to find your comfort that way, no matter how bad the storm how bad the trial gets. Lord, I pray that you would be with us, Lord, and that take care of us, be with our frontline workers in our church and other places who are battling this situation every day. Carry us through it. I pray for, Lord, our governmental leaders that might have wisdom in making the right decisions. Lord, they might not be guided by politics. They might not be guided by their own decisions and what's going to benefit them or their party. But they might be guided by what the right thing to do is. And you would give them the wisdom to do that. I pray for wisdom for us, Lord, as we look down the road. As we try to carry on together as a fellowship over these weeks. It's tough to be a fellowship when we can't fellowship. But we, Lord, we can do this. And we can get through this with your help. And I pray that you give us wisdom as we look at how to get through this thing and move on. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Lord, give us the strength to delight in your comfort when our heads get muddled with all these thoughts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take care, folks.